Let us pray before we get into God's word together. Gracious Heavenly Father, I thank you for this precious time now to look in your word and consider the glorious resurrection of the only Savior, the Lord of Lords, the King of Kings, Jesus Christ alone. And I pray, God, that you would speak to each of our hearts this morning and everyone who is listening on the live stream and joining us that way. We thank you for the privilege of being exposed to your word, of hearing it, and I pray, God, it would truly be encouraging and convicting where it needs to be. And once again, God, we thank you that you are with us, even as we preach, even as we listen, even as we are together here in this worship service today on this precious Resurrection Sunday. You deserve all the credit and praise and glory. I pray you'd receive it now. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, if my eyes are right, it is 10 after 10, and uh, we usually end our services at around 12.15, so I've got a lot of time this morning. (laughs) No, um, we're going to talk about the the glorious resurrection of Jesus Christ, and we could actually go on for hours, uh, truthfully. But um, we are going to keep it as appropriate as possible today. And just to start off, uh, as I've been a Christian now for over 20 years, um, I've noticed during that time that most people that I talk to believe that a man named Jesus Christ roamed the earth roughly 2,000 years ago. Um, They believe that he was a, a Jewish rabbi who did gain quite a following and that he taught spiritual principles. Um, Most even acknowledge that he was controversial uh, to the point of being crucified by means of the cross. Most people would acknowledge those basic things about Jesus as factual, even historical. After all, something or someone had to start this whole Christianity thing up, right? So it seems that people in general, at least the many that I've come across, pretty much recognize that Jesus existed, that he was a spiritual teacher, and after 30-odd years, that he was put to death on a cross. Though these dear folks would accept Jesus' existence, that he lived and that he died, the question gets raised, What about his resurrection? And of course, the primary source of information about the life, death, and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ is God's Word, the Bible. And in particular, the first four books of the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, called the Gospels, they give us the story and history of the person and work of Jesus of Nazareth. And I'll give you a quick footnote here, which some of you are already aware of. But the Gospel of Matthew has 28 chapters. The Gospel of Mark has 16 chapters. The Gospel of Luke has 24 chapters. The Gospel of John has 21 chapters. And guess what each of those Gospel writers devote their entire last chapter of their book to? The resurrection of Jesus Christ. And John, actually, the last two chapters 20 and 21. So the history of Jesus Christ does not end 
with his death. It doesn't end with his burial. It continues with his glorious resurrection. So I was thinking, why would people, and I know some people who profess to be Christians, who deny or don't really believe in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And I get it when unbelievers don't really believe that. But then there are some who claim to be Christians. They don't, they don't believe. Well, the only answers I could come up with is that because somehow they understand that if he did not rise from the dead, then his word cannot be believed because he said he would rise. Uh, if he didn't rise from the dead, the Bible shouldn't be believed because it said he would. The New Testament writers cannot be believed because they said he did. Even the Old Testament writers can be rejected because they said he would. In other words, if Jesus did not rise from the dead, then Christianity as a whole crumbles. The whole thing collapses. But on the other hand, if Christ's resurrection is true, then Christianity is true. The whole thing. So I, I think that some people at least understand that. Um, Satan is the enemy, the enemy of God, the enemy of his people. He works hard to darken the minds of unbelievers. He and his demons attempt to divert and distract and deceive the world into this mindset that the re- resurrection of Jesus Christ doesn't really matter all that much. Okay? Christmas is the holiday that matters. The world is a lot more comfortable with Resurrection Day, which we call it around here at Faith Bible Church. Uh, They're a lot more comfortable with it being a holiday about the Easter Bunny and Easter egg hunts and jelly beans and all that just superficial, frivolous stuff that it's been turned into. Good Friday is good to the world because to them, it's another day off from work or school, another long weekend. For today's sermon, I want us to look in God's Word, specifically at the narratives in Matthew and Luke and John. We're going to be spending our time in some portions of those last chapters of those Gospels. And a few questions to keep in mind. Like, are these men lying? Like, are they lying as they write all of this? And I also want you to, to, to consider... Have you decided what you believe personally about the resurrection of Jesus Christ? Do you believe in your heart that God raised Jesus from the dead? Because that is a, a remarkable thing to actually believe, that someone was in the grave for three days, and then and his heart stopped beating, he was no longer breathing, and then three days later, he He resuscitated. God promises the hope of resurrection and the gift of eternal life to everyone who will believe in his Son as Savior and Lord. And the other thing I want you to consider today is what is more important than your eternal soul? What is more important than your eternal soul? Because what you believe about Jesus Christ and his death and his resurrection determines where you're going to spend forever. 
And so the way Jesus would put it is, what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world, everything he wants in this world, and yet he gives up, his, he forfeits his own soul? Jesus loves you. He wants you to consider that today, right now, this morning. So before we get into our, our text, I have a few things to say from, from the Bible. And um, so bear with me as we make our way there. But according to the Bible, Jesus made at least 10 distinct appearances to people, okay, eyewitnesses, after his resurrection, before his ascension up to heaven. Jesus appeared to Mary Magdalene at the tomb. This is in Mark 16, verse 9, and John 20, verses 11 to 18. Number two, he appeared to the women on the road. There was a number of women there on the road in Matthew 28, verses 9 and 10. He appeared to two disciples. They were not apostles, but one was named Cleopas, and these were the guys on the road to Emmaus, Luke 24. We're going to get there a little, in a little bit. He also appeared to Peter in Luke 24. And then he appeared to 10 of the 11 disciples. Okay? Thomas was absent for that first appearance to them, Luke 24 and John 20. And then he appeared to the 11 disciples with Thomas present. So all, all of them, eight days later, also John chapter 20. He also appeared to seven of the disciples by the Sea of Galilee, John chapter 21. Number eight, he appeared to more than 500 disciples, probably on a mountain in Galilee, 1 Corinthians 15. And then he appeared to James, who was either the son of Zebedee or the half-brother of Jesus, 1 Corinthians 15, verse 7. And lastly, he appeared to the apostles when he ascended into heaven, okay, right before that, Acts chapter 1. And by the way, after his ascension, he also appeared to Paul, 1 Corinthians 15, 8. And then the next time he appears, it's going to be with great power and glory, according to Matthew 24 and Revelation 19. It's when Jesus returns. So please understand, if Jesus did not actually rise from the dead, all of those things would be nothing but lies. It lies in this very book, which claims to be the word of God. It would be the stuff of legend, of fairy tales, and folklore. Yet another man-made myth added to all the others throughout world history. So, second thing I want uh, to get to before we get to our text. Um, there are some people that say that they don't believe the Bible. They don't believe the Bible, but they believe in Jesus' words, like what Jesus said. So, what Jesus said, I'll accept that, but the Bible, eh, not so much. Well, on multiple occasions, Jesus told the disciples that he would rise from the grave after he was crucified, didn't he? He said that in Matthew 16, verse 21. And uh, the very next verse, it says that the disciples didn't accept it. They didn't understand. Mark 9, verse 31, he told them again. I'm not going to read the verses, but he said the Son of Man will be crucified and he'll rise again. They didn't get it. Luke 9, same thing, verse 22. In John chapter 2, verse 18, again, they didn't understand until he actually appeared to them in his resurrection. So, Jesus' words, that's another thing to consider. The New Testament, in fact, 
all of the New Testament writers explicitly teach and write about the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Every New Testament writer. Except, except for James and Jude. And in their very short letters, the resurrection of Jesus is implied. Okay, so lastly, while we're at it, the Old Testament. Okay, does the Old Testament ever mention the resurrection of the Messiah to come? Well, we'll at this point, we are all well-versed in the Old Testament predicting and prophesying about Jesus' death, right? The Messiah's death. Psalm 22 is one of the just main ones that you can go to a thousand years before Christ. But his resurrection is also implied in Psalm 22 and verses 19 through 24. Isaiah 53, we all know and love Isaiah 53, the suffering servant who will die on the cross, who will bear our sins, who will receive the punishment that we deserved. But it also, in verses 10 and 11, also implies the resurrection of the Messiah. But Psalm 16 is probably the clearest text prophesying of Messiah's resurrection. And it says there in verse 10, Psalm 16:10, For you will not abandon my soul to Sheol, nor will you allow your Holy One to undergo decay. And so these are expressions of David that have application in the greater David, the Messiah to come, which this psalm is talking about and pointing to, the Christ himself. And so Acts 2, verses 22 to 32, um, Peter preaches the gospel there um, at at Pentecost, and um, he refers to Psalm 16, and he details that Christ's resurrection is the fulfillment of that verse that I just read to you. And when Paul preaches the gospel in Acts chapter 13, he refers to Psalm 16 again as, as being fulfilled, the prophecy of the Messiah dying but rising from the dead, being fulfilled. And so there's all of that which leads us into the gospels and the glorious resurrection of Jesus Christ. And I ask you again, what do you believe about the resurrection? And you have the hope of resurrection life that God promises to everyone who will believe. And I want to encourage all of us who are, who are saved by the grace of God alone that we would rejoice in this resurrection and rejoice in going to these texts. Um, Faith Bible Church family, uh, in my human thinking, um, my preaching schedule lined up exactly according to um, today, and we were in Mark 16, we we're finishing Mark 15 and going into Mark 16, which is the resurrection, and I was getting set to preach that, and as I was preparing this, this, um, this week, uh, it became evident that, that that seemed more appropriate for just um, for next Sunday, somehow, uh, the burial and the resurrection of Jesus, the way Mark describes it, and so um, as I was praying, I made a last minute change, and here we are, we're going to we're going to highlight some of the other Gospels, Matthew, Luke, and John, and look at those last chapters, a few passages in each, and we're going to see once again this wonderful, glorious hope of resurrection that everyone who believes will receive. So um, the first text is in Matthew 28. So why don't we turn there together? Matthew chapter 28. It's the last chapter in the Gospel of Matthew. And it's going to highlight a few things from verses 1 through 15. And in the first 10 verses, it gives us the story, the narrative of what happened, the account of what happened. 
And then um, verses 11 to 15 is the bribe, which is the follow-up. Okay? So just verses 1 through 3, Matthew writes, Now after the Sabbath, as it began to dawn toward the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary came to look at the grave. So this was the first day of the week, the first and best day of the week, Lord's Day, Sunday. This is the day of the resurrection. So Jesus was in the grave for three days, part of Friday, all of Saturday, and part of Sunday. And this was early in the morning on the Lord's Day. And it says there, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary came to look at the grave. And in verse 2 it says, And behold, a severe earthquake had occurred, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled away the stone and sat upon it. An angel sent by God rolled that heavy, massive stone. And listen, this was not so that Jesus could, could get out. Okay? It was so that the women and others would be able to get in. Right? Jesus could easily get through there himself. And so um, we're not going to go there, but in Mark 16, which we'll get to next Sunday, uh, the Marys and the other women were talking on the way to the grave about who's going to roll this stone away, this extremely large stone. And uh, we see here that it was an angel from God. And look at verse 3. It says, The angel, his appearance was like lightning, and his clothing as white as snow. And then verse 4, The guards shook for fear of him and became like dead men. These are hardened, tough Roman soldiers who are paid and who have this responsibility to watch over the grave. And these guys are shook. Uh, they became like dead men. They, they basically fainted over. And verse 5 through 8, what does the angel say to the women? He says, You do not be afraid, for I know that you are looking for Jesus who has been crucified. He is not here, for he has risen. Just as he said, Come, see the place where he was lying. Go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead. And behold, he is going ahead of you into Galilee, and there you will see him. Behold, I have told you. And they left the tomb quickly with fear and great joy and ran to report it to his disciples. So this is the angel's instruction after he tells them what happened. And of course, the, the women are, are terrified. And, and at the same time, this uh, incredible wave of joy overtakes their hearts and their souls to hear this news. And um, incredibly, look what happens in verses 9 and 10. And behold, Jesus met them and greeted them. And they came up and took hold of his feet and worshipped him. But then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and take word to my brethren to leave for Galilee. And there they will see me. So I ask again, um, is this a complete, just made-up story by, by Luke, uh, by Matthew? Did he just make up all this stuff just to, um, just to make it up? Hey, th- these details, like every, every particular thing in this text. 
Um, Verses 11 to 15 kind of helps us with that because it says this. While they were on their way, some of the guard, some of the guard came into the city and reported to the chief priests all that had happened. Who are the chief priests again? They're the religious leaders, right? The Jewish religious spiritual leaders. And the guard is the Roman soldiers, okay, made up of several, some say up to 16 of them. And they reported to the chief priests all that had happened. They told them what happened. Verse 12, when they had assembled with the elders, the chief priests, okay, the chief priests, the, the priests of the temple, had assembled, they got together with the elders, the other spiritual leaders, and consulted together. They gave a large sum of money to the soldiers and said, You are to say, His disciples came by night and stole him away while we were asleep. And if this should come to the governor's ears, we will win him over and keep you out of trouble. And they took the money and did as they had been instructed. And this story was widely spread among the Jews and is to this day. Um, so the soldiers whose livelihood and most likely their very lives depended on them keeping watch over this dead body um, are being bribed here by the spiritual leaders of Israel, the ones who were responsible to put Christ on the cross. And so they tell the soldiers with a bribe, don't, don't talk about any angels Don't tell anyone about that. Don't tell anyone about a resurrection. Tell them that the disciples came and stole the body while you were asleep. Yeah, that sounds good. Who Does that make any sense whatsoever? The absurdity of of this, how preposterous it is, um, is remarkable. And yet, this is what sin does. This is what evil does, right? It, It deceives It lies. It twists the truth. Jesus' enemies could not and did not deny his resurrection. They couldn't deny any of his miracles while he was alive either. So they had to resort to an infeasible lie and bribery. So I ask you, once again, does this all matter to you? Does Christ resurrection matter to you today it certainly did to Jesus's enemies who were there at the time so much so that they had to make this up and bribe the soldiers and circulate this lie so if if all of this did not actually happen okay Matthew himself is a liar And one might say you would be accusing God of lying. Some might give Matthew the benefit of the doubt and just just say, well, he's he's being creative here. He's trying to convey that this is a spiritual message. And so he's making something up to to help people in in their spiritual life. But this this is not that. He would be quite the deceiver to fabricate all of these all of these stories and, and make up lies about the, the soldiers and the, the religious leaders. So that leads us to Luke chapter 24, if you want to turn there next. The last chapter of the Gospel of Luke. 
And this is a long narrative, but we're going to just highlight a few verses starting in verse, verse 10. Luke chapter 24. And it says in verse 10, Now they were Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary, the mother of James. Also the other women with them were telling these things to the apostles. But these words appeared to them as nonsense. And they would not believe them. The men would not believe them. But in verse 12, it says, But Peter got up and ran to the tomb. Stooping and looking in, he saw the linen wrappings only. And he went away to his home, marveling at what had happened. So the women tell the apostles what they saw, what happened. And it was, it was nonsense to the men. To the, to the disciples. They couldn't believe it. They didn't understand. And I mentioned John chapter 20, verse 9 before, uh, the parallel passage. Speaking of Peter and John, okay, it says in, in chapter 20, verse 9, For as yet they did not understand the scriptures, that he must rise again from the dead. So some of us might be scratching our heads and wondering, um, how is it that the disciples could not get it? How many times did Jesus tell them that he was going to rise from the grave? He told them specifically multiple times, and not even that long ago. Most recently, that, that very night, and before that, a few days before, and before that, a week before. Well, think again about what they had witnessed uh, just the Friday, a couple days ago. Jesus being scourged, his body beaten, and bloodied, battered, to an almost unrecognizable mess, too shameful to even look at, and then nailed to a cross and dying. Do you think you would instantly believe that he was somehow alive? Well, verse 13 introduces us to two disciples of Jesus. And it says there in verse 13, and I'm going to read verse 13 to 16 here for us. In Luke 24, it says, And behold, two of them were going that very day to a village named Emmaus, which was about seven miles from Jerusalem. And they were talking with each other about all these things which had taken place. While they were talking and discussing, Jesus himself approached and began traveling with them. But their eyes were prevented from recognizing him. So this was not one of the, the 12, one of the 11. These were two other uh, disciples of Jesus, and they were talking about all these things and wondering what was going on. And Jesus joins them, and uh, he starts engaging them in, in conversation and asking them about what things have happened. And haven't you heard about Jesus the Nazarene? He was crucified, and the chief priest delivered him, and they were hoping that he was going to redeem Israel. But then... He says in verse 25, O foolish men and slow of heart to believe in all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary for the Christ to suffer these things and to enter into his glory? And then he begins to unfold the Old Testament, the scriptures to him. And how all of these things in the areas that they talked about the Messiah, 
the Messiah, the Savior to come. He showed them. And so, as they continue talking, it says there, as they convince him to stay with them into the evening, in verse 30, he reclined at the table with them and took bread and blessed it. And breaking it, he began giving it to them. Verse 31, then their eyes were opened and they recognized him and he vanished from their sight. And they said to one another, were not our hearts burning within us while he was speaking to us on the road, while he was explaining the scriptures to us? And they got up that very hour and returned to Jerusalem. And so, um, this is uh, evening time by now. This is still the first day of the week. It's probably around 9 o'clock in the evening, 9 o'clock at night. They get up, they go, because the resurrected Lord came and appeared to them. They, they knew it. They knew it at this point. And so they go to the 11 disciples, and it says there in verse 33, they found gathered together the 11 and those who were with them. So it was the 11 disciples along with some other people. And verse 34, they were saying to them, the Lord has really risen and has appeared to Simon. And this is some, some appearance to, to Simon Peter that's not described um, anywhere else. But it says in verse 35, they began to relate their experiences on the road and how he was recognized by them in the breaking of the bread. So they go and tell the disciples what happened. And it's somehow, this is like the only place in Scripture where we have Peter also received an appearance of the Lord. And they're coming together on this now as all of them were talking about it in the first place. And so this kind of melds with John chapter 20, which we'll get to in a moment. But um, I do want to read the rest of this uh, passage here in Luke 24, uh, verse 36 to 43. And it says, while they were telling these things, what happens? He himself, Jesus, stood in their midst and said to them, Peace be to you. But they were startled and frightened and thought they were seeing a spirit. And he said to them, Why are you troubled and why do doubts arise in your hearts? See my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Touch me and see, for a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they still could not believe it, because of their joy and amazement, he said to them, Have you anything here to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it and ate before them. So you see that Luke takes care to share exact, specific details of Jesus' words and his actions. They all indicate a bodily, physical, live resurrection. And this is his glorified, resurrected body. But it's the same body that he died in. It even retained his identifying marks the scars on his hands and his feet, which he points to. And he's showing that he's not a, a spirit okay, or a ghost or, or a figment of their collective imagination. Okay, he even eats fish with them and in front of them. So the physical bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ is of utmost importance. Again, there are some who profess to be Christians 
and they don't think this doctrine is, is, is that big of a deal. You can believe it or not. There's whole denominations that teach that this is an, an optional thing. You don't have to believe it in order to be a Christian. And this, that would be dead wrong. That would be heretical. This is what Jesus said would happen. He told them he was going to rise from the dead. And as we just read, they, they still weren't getting it even in his presence while he's there directly in front of them, in their midst, touching him, eating in front of them. So the truth of Jesus' resurrection is not just symbolic or metaphoric or some spiritual resurrection. It's not meant to be merely something you can believe or not as an option, as if you can gain something if you just kind of believe the, the legend like the phoenix rising from the ashes, and he just rose somehow in, in, a, in, a, in a metaphorical way. And so you just believe that, and that will give you hope for your life and uplift you in your, your own spirit. No, the resurrection is part and parcel of the gospel of Jesus Christ itself because it shows who the person of Jesus Christ is. He's the living Lord and Savior, and in order for you to be saved, you must believe that he rose from the grave and is alive. He is alive. So I ask you, does any of this sound like something that Luke, hey, the, the physician historian, would just conjure up? Hey, you, some of you remember how he opens up his gospel, right? In Luke chapter 1, his very first verses, he says this, Inasmuch as many have undertaken to compile an account of the things accomplished among us, just as they were handed down to us by those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and servants of the word, it seemed fitting for me as well, Dr. Luke, right? Having investigated everything carefully from the beginning to write it out for you in consecutive order, most excellent Theophilus, so that you may know the exact truth about the things you have been taught. And Luke, Luke was, he meant business. And he was writing down specifically, chronologically, in detail, very carefully, what the eyewitnesses had seen. And so, dear folks who are listening to this message here today and perhaps over the live stream, what do you believe about the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ? What do you truly believe in your heart about what the Bible says? You must believe in the crucified Savior, but not just the crucified Savior, but that he rose from the grave. If you want hope of resurrection and eternal life. So our last passage is in John chapter 20. If you'll turn with me there. John chapter 20. He gives other information along with Matthew, Mark, and Luke. John chapter 20, and just going to highlight verse 19 and a few verses after. And it says in verse 19 of John 20, So when it was evening on that day, so this is resurrection day still in the evening, 
the first day of the week, and when the doors were shut where the disciples were, for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood in their midst and said to them, Peace be with you. And so they, they basically locked the doors. They shut themselves away. They were still fearful. This was just a couple days after Jesus was crucified. Uh, fearful of the, the Jewish authorities and their association with Jesus. And so they locked themselves in. And yet Jesus comes and stands in their midst and says to them, Peace be with you. He just appears. No knock on the door. Just out of nowhere, he's there. And what does he say? Peace be with you. Verse 21, he says, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I also send you. And this is after, once again, he shows them both his hands and his side, where he was pierced. And the disciples rejoice. They see the Lord at this juncture. And peace be with you. This is the peace that all believers in Christ have, and only believers, disciples of Jesus Christ, have, because this is now reconciliation with God, as our brother Pastor Bill mentioned in First Peter. He said that Jesus died for us, he suffered for us, the just for the unjust, so that he could bring us back to God. Okay, that is in a right, righteous peaceful relationship with our maker. And this is a good follow-up to it is finished, right? The debt was paid in full. God's wrath satisfied. Justice has been done. Restoration, reconciliation, and peace is now possible between God and sinful men. Uh, interestingly, every single epistle of Paul's begins with that greeting of peace. Peace I give you. Peace I bring you, along with grace. In verse 21, I just said it, peace be with you. As the Father sent me, I also send you. Verse 22 says, And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. And so this is... Jesus' pledge that the Holy Spirit was to come. And he promised them before he was crucified, the night before he was crucified, that he would send the Holy Spirit to them. And so now he pledges it. And this was a, some say this was a, a breath in a spiritual sense, like of life, like when God breathed life into Adam's body at creation. And I, I don't want to make more of this one statement than, than is warranted. Um, in the Greek text, uh, on them is not even in there. But I believe that this is an utterance of Jesus, a promise to them uh, to sustain them until the coming of the Holy Spirit. And this will be 50 days from now, um, as he promised. So receive the Holy Spirit. This is like a, a pledge from Jesus, even a reminder of what he already told them, that he's going to send the Holy Spirit to them. And so... With that promise, I want to skip down to verse 24 and uh, look at what, what uh, Thomas's response is. Verse 24, it says, But Thomas, one of the twelve called Didymus, was not with them when Jesus came. Yeah, I mentioned that before, right? That first appearance, he wasn't there. Um, verse 25, So the other disciples were saying to him, We have seen the Lord. 
But he said to them, Unless I see in his hands the imprint of the nails and put my finger into the place of the nails and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. So after eight days, his disciples were again inside, and Thomas with them this time. And Jesus came, the doors having been shut, and stood in their midst and said, once again, peace be with you. Don't you love how Jesus just kind of shows up, right? It just uh, gives us an indication of no in glorified, resurrected state. There, there's no physical barriers, no earthly things that can just, uh, it, it perhaps is a, a preview of, of heaven. But in any case, he says to Thomas in verse 27, reach here with your finger and see my hands and reach here your hand and put it into my side and do not be unbelieving, but believing. Thomas answered and said to him, my Lord and my God. And Jesus said to him, because you have seen me, have you believed? Blessed are they who did not see and yet believe. So I just want all of us to notice once again um, just how important the physical, bodily, literal resurrection of Jesus was to doubting Thomas, right? Um, It was the matter of faith to him. It was the issue. He was not going to believe that Jesus did what he said he was going to do, okay, after three days rise again, right? Unless he saw him with his own eyes, unless he touched him with his own hands. Verse 26, like I already read, do you see how tender and patient and compassionate our Lord is? He doesn't come back and rebuke Thomas, but he lovingly comes. He offers Thomas to touch his body, put his hand into his side. And so that leads to Thomas's exclamation, my Lord and my God. And there's a lot of people, again, many people who profess to be Christians who, who deny the deity of Jesus Christ. They will respect him as a spiritual teacher They will follow him even as a spiritual leader. They will pick and choose out of his words what they they like and follow that. But they will deny that he is God in the flesh. And that too is a heresy. It's a false teaching that will lead people to hell because it denies who the person of Jesus Christ is. And Thomas got it right. He says, my Lord and my God. Hey, you, you, you can't even just believe this abstractly or just believe it intellectually because there's plenty of people in this world and maybe even some today who would, who would agree with those facts that Jesus is the Lord and he is, he is even God and yet they have not placed their personal faith and trust in him as their Savior and Lord and God. There's a huge difference. Hey, the difference is judgment and condemnation and hell forever versus peace and blessing and delight and eternity, knowing God and spending that that eternity with him forever in heaven. So Jesus' reply there in verse 29, because you have seen me, have you believed? And he's pointing out that it's not, it's not, 
It's not just seeing, but it's, it's believing. And he says, blessed are those who did not see and yet believed. Jesus looks to the future knowing that he's going to ascend to the Father okay, after he's been around for those 50 days. And people are, are, people are not going to have the same privilege of seeing Christ, the resurrected, glorified Christ, physically with their physical eyes. So Peter, Peter is going to say later in 1 Peter 1, 8 and 9, And though you have not seen him, you love him. He's speaking to believers, right? New Testament believers. And though you do not see him now, but believe in him, you greatly rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory, obtaining as the outcome of your faith the salvation of your souls. 1 Peter 1, 8 and 9. How blessed is the one who, not seeing with our physical eyes, but believes in Jesus Christ as their Lord and God. So as we start to conclude here, the Bible's teaching is so very clear on the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And if you don't believe in this literal, bodily, physical resurrection, you are denying the Christian faith. If you don't believe that Christ is risen, that he's literally alive today in his body, you're denying the essence, the very core of basic Christianity. You're denying Christ, God the Son. You're denying God the Father who sent him, who inspired his word. The fact that Jesus rose from the dead shows clearly that he is true to his own word. It reveals that God the Father validated Christ's perfect life and death on the cross. Someone said that the resurrection is the Father's amen to Jesus' statement that we looked at last week, that it is finished. Pastor John Piper says, The resurrection of, of Jesus is God's gift and proof that his death was completely successful in blotting out the sins of his people and removing the wrath of God. End quote. Because Jesus has been raised, we can be confident that he really is who he claimed to be. So we come full circle back to the question, what do you believe about the resurrection of Jesus Christ? And what will you do with this risen Savior? What are you going to do with him who claims so exclusively that he is the only one mediator between God and man, and he's the only living Savior? He's the only true God. There was a, a Buddhist man in Africa who became a Christian, and he was asked why he changed religions. This was his reply. He said, it's like this. If you were walking along and came to a fork in the road, and two men were there, and one was dead and the other was alive, which man's directions would you follow? Hey, the reality is, Buddha is dead. And just like all of history's other religious teachers, humans, but Jesus Christ is alive, even at this very moment. Amen. 
In raising Jesus from the dead, God demonstrated to all which way of salvation is the real thing. There's tons of religions in the world, aren't there? But listen, folks, every single religion, whether it's organized or not, has in its perspective and worldview that there's some way that human beings, sinners as we are, can somehow be good enough and make ourselves good enough to get to heaven. And some of you this morning are believing that lie. You're resting in some goodness inside of you or something that happened in the past or some good intention or some sincerity of heart or some good works and you're, you're in line with every single other religion in the world. And yet, Christ offers the free gift of salvation. He says there's, there's no way that you're going to be good enough. You can't, you can't make it by your works, by your intentions. Only Christ, only Christ was the perfect Savior and substitute and sacrifice for our sins. And he died on the cross sinlessly so that God would accept his, his sacrifice. And once again, the scriptures tell us that three days later, he rose again according to the scriptures. And all who believe in him will, will be promised that newness of life. The gift, something you can't earn, it's given. You need to receive it by faith alone, in Christ alone. And so Romans 10, verse 9, every, we, we know it here, right? The gospel is true. That if you confess with your mouth Jesus as Lord and believe in your heart that what? God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And so we can rejoice this morning. Everyone, everyone can rejoice because we're still alive. But those of us who are alive in Christ this moment, we can rejoice because Jesus lives. The foundation of our faith is firm. Our faith and our preaching is true, 1 Corinthians 15. Our sins have been forgiven, and our future is secure. And secure not because of us, but because of him who died and rose again on our behalf. Let's pray. Gracious God, we attempted to delve even a little bit into your accounts of what happened after Jesus died. And, Lord, we, we just we feel like we're just skimming the surface of things. But I pray, Lord, that our time in those particular passages, God, were, were a blessing to us um, as, we, as we look at them um, even in a cursory manner on this Resurrection Sunday. And I pray, Lord, for, for those who have not yet placed their faith and trust in, in Christ alone, that the gospel message has come through clearly and that they would turn from their sins and, and believe on Jesus who loves them, who gave himself up for all who would believe, and you would draw them to you even this very moment, God. And thank you that you, that you offer this, this most precious and priceless gift for our souls, our eternity's sake, so that this life would not be in vain and not lead to deserved judgment, but rather eternal bliss and heaven in your presence forever and ever. For it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.